Um, how many of you went out Black Friday shopping? Oh my gosh. Just a few of you. Crazy people. Crazy people. Did you get the prize? Did you get the thing that you went out looking for? You know? Okay, we got a few thumbs up around there. You got the one thing. Don't tell me what it is because you don't want to give that away. That's surprise. I'm glad that you got your prize. My prize was this. First of all, I never go out black, black Friday shopping because number I, one of the things I am in charge of is staying home and watching the dogs, which is fine. I, I can get, I'm, I'm fine with that. And, but I get to stay home for two days. My, my son came over, both my sons and uh, my nephew and uh, my nephew's uh, fiance came over uh, and uh, Noah made these amazing, I, I actually love, I love Thanksgiving dinner, but I like what it happens the next day. You get all those, all the, the leftovers and you put it on a sandwich. I mean, everything you, you know, it's all, yeah, exactly. It's beautiful. It is just a beautiful thing. We did that, and we played games on Friday, and then Saturday, Saturday, I was home alone the whole day. I don't know about you, but that was beautiful to me. The house was quiet, uh, and it was clean, and it was just, it was, it was just, it was so nice. I got a lot of good thinking in and writing, and I also watched a movie or two, and it was, it was just a great day. So I got the prize. All you crazy people out there trying to get the prize, I got the prize, okay? Anyway, well, thinking about that <clears throat> and thinking about, uh, we're going to talk about the prize here in just a little bit, but I just want to review where we've been in the book of Acts. As we dare to be the church, we're on our, actually our last sermon uh, before we come into the Christmas uh, season and Advent, uh, we're going to wrap up our sermon series. And there actually is so much more that can be told. Uh, I could dig into the life of Paul and create another entire sermon series. And I feel like we have not touched nearly as much on his life. Uh, but as we look at the church starting in the book of Acts, we saw how God's presence comes in power and establishes a missional church that will go into the dark places of the world. That is where it begins. And then they, and it continues as the church would share with one another as they had need that radical hospitality seeks to make strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. And as that is happening, the church is persecuted and it is dispersed and it goes out a little bit farther. And those who are lost are now found. And they experience life transformation and are baptized. And, and even today we're going to see in the, in the text how that will continue to happen, that life transformation continues to occur. When the lost are found, last week we talked about how those who were lost, who were lost and are now found, become a part of our family. Their story will intersect God's story and will be incorporated into our story. And it will look different it will seem strange, but we'll embrace, we will embrace that story and make it ours. And today, I want us to look at just kind of wrapping up, daring to be the church. We need to learn how to let go and let God control. Now, in some ways, and you might be thinking, okay, we're just, 
We just talked about how we dare to be to church is something that we grab, that's something that we own. It is something that we do. But I think the thing that we need to gather from Paul's life as he was going out into the world as this missionary that establishes churches all over, it wasn't this thing that he wanted to control. In fact, he would constantly be taking steps back so that others can be moved forward. I, I want to compare it to like holding water in our hands and we kind of cup it underneath the spigot in the, in the sink and we splash our face and we take a drink but you can't hold the water in your hand very long, right? Because it, it eventually will run out through the cracks. It's not something that we can control. As much as we try, this is something that's going to, it's going to seep out. It's a backward step. It's a denial. And even for Paul, it was much like a death for him. And he had to come to grips with this. So think about your life. Think about our life, our lifespan, whatever time we have. And we don't know what that is. The, the scriptures will talk about life being, James will talk about life being like a vapor that, that comes in one moment and passes away in the next moment. But this lifespan that we have, whatever time we have, is an opportunity to say yes to a hidden gift from God, to a reality while difficult, it provides a place of divine encounter and deep growth. Every moment, every opportunity. And facing death as a celebration of life, no matter how many or how few our days are, is a constant opening of what is to come. But what it requires of you and I is a discernment to we discern the voice of God who opens up every eventuality, opens up every opportunity to us. And this is what Paul will grasp. After this, let's look at Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade, to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive... He shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own hands, heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. I just want to pause there for a minute because we realize that Paul has called even at, on the day of his conversion, on the day where he was, when he was blinded in the street as we read about a few weeks ago, he, he receives this call that, he is going to be this apostle. He is going to be this messenger to the Gentiles. But as Paul was saying this, I, I want for you to understand what's happening here. He's talking to his own people, and he's insulting them. He's saying, you're not worth going to. I'm going to go to somebody that doesn't have a place. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. <laughs> he's frustrated in this moment, and he is 
he is exhibiting his frustration on these people. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack or harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. You see, Paul was ready to throw in the towel. He he was using words almost like a manipulation to the Jewish people here. And yet, even in light of that frustration, still Jewish people were coming to the Lord. The synagogue leader comes to the Lord and believes and is baptized. And then he hears this word from God and says, Paul, don't give up. Don't stop speaking the truth. Because I have reserved people that are going, Jews and Gentiles, who are going to hear this message and respond. So the encouragement for us is to tell the story. Continue to tell the story. As much as it pains us, as much as it might seem like nobody's listening to the words that we have or respecting it all, trust God. He will not allow, we will not allow our struggles to define our narrative, but we will persevere through them. In other words, we allow the struggles to inform our story because they are real. How do we face this kind of discouragement? Our, our own people will not even accept us. Even though there are some that follow us, it can seem that we are alone and ready to throw in the towel and to give up, much like Paul, because relationships are difficult, right? And maybe, if, maybe that was part, part, sometimes holidays can be an anxiety for us sometimes, right? Because guess who's coming to dinner, <laughs> like we talked about last week? And in reality, I realize about me that I am not everybody's cup of tea, right? Oh, I like okay, thank you. <laughs> I always got one there. The encouragement that Paul received here is not to give up on the story, but to lean into the struggle and trust what God will do as we persevere. Some will leave, some will complain and whine, some will even fight and be antagonistic. But others will take notice of our determination and our trust in God, and they will follow. And so we keep going. And in light of that difficulty, it becomes that much more real and significant to those who will listen. I am, <clears throat> I am fortunate to have several good mentors in my life. Uh, one of them uh, is Doug Redford. Uh, he was a pre uh, my wife and, and my family's uh, preacher in uh, Plymouth, Indiana for many years. And, uh, and he solemnized uh, our wedding Katie, for Katie and I uh, 35 years ago. Is that right? Katie's not in here to tell me I'm wrong, so I'll say 35 years ago. Uh, and, and even to this day, he is an example of a humble, gentle, faithful, and generous man. He has taught me the power of creating space of welcome and belonging in my life. Now, others would say that his ministry will not be marked by large church growth or impactful writings. 
And he will not be known as someone who was asked to be the keynote speaker at some prestigious conference, nor will he have a podcast that breaks listenership records. Yet, he has persevered through much struggle and even disappointment, but you wouldn't know it. And he has allowed these to form the good story, which he is faithful to tell and not give up. The growth that has occurred in his life is the, inf- is the influence that he has had on many men and women who follow his example. His quiver is full. This is the kind of person that I can follow because he lives in front of people with vulnerability and transparency. I hear Paul's words in 2 Corinthians echo in this kind of life. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's not running away here, but he's saying, this informs my story that I'm going to tell faithfully over and over again. And as a result of this encouragement from God and Paul's response, Paul remained. He remained there in Ephesus. While he wanted to leave, he wanted to run away, he stayed there. And as a result, many people were baptized and healed. And Paul spent time making disciples through his teaching. People were giving up their old ways of living to make money from sorcery and manipulation. And in that, they confessed their sins and were restored. I just want to pull out just a a little clip from that, from Acts chapter 19, verses 23 through 27. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. That's the church. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together along with the workmen in related trades and said, Men, you know that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus, and particularly the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great god Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and in the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Do you see what's going on here? That this place where this church is growing is struggling keeping up with this this, uh, this business that is striving to raise money and power for themselves. And it's coming into conflict with this story. And then in chapter 20, it will go on to talk about how Paul would leave. He would leave Ephesus and he would go away from there, but he would come back. And as he came back, Paul sent 
to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith. You see, in this moment, Paul is talking to the elders, and he comes into contrast with these people who are trying to make a buck, who are trying to, to take advantage of what is going on here and won't give up, won't surrender. And Paul is saying, I have not used any of that for my power or position, even at the expense of the church to gain more for himself. Paul says, that has not been my motivation or my heart. Instead, he decides to make a different kind of investment. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, Paul will write to the Philippian church, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. And he will continue in verse 18 saying, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through the, your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will be fruit, mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul is living his life in a way that says, it doesn't matter about me. What I desire more than anything is to invest in others, to build a legacy. And we, as a church, will do the same. We will build a legacy as we trust God. We will believe and invest in other people. If we will dare to be the church, we will invest in others. Again, it's a backward step. For Paul, it was, I'm, I am backing up and I'm allowing other people to take the stage. I am allowing other people to take the mantle and to carry it on. Paul didn't need to take the stage and he didn't need to receive the credit. He expressed that to the elders on the shore. What gives him great joy was seeing the goodness of creation in the other person, each individual that he invested his life in. He believed in other people. He invested in other people to carry out the mission beyond his life. And the list, even in the short passage 
passages that I've read this morning, we see individuals' lives that he touched. Priscilla and Aquila, who would eventually invest their lives in Apollos, to Silas and to Timothy, to Titus, to Luke, and even to John Mark, who would desert him and come back to him, and he would carry him and take him into his own My great joy in ministry over the years is to see others realizing and thriving and making a difference in the lives of others through their sacred vocation. All for God's glory. I have, I love the opportunities that I have just to count those blessings. I think of Jenny, who is a pediatric occupational therapist for Beacon Health, giving parents hope and care for their children. For Dalton and Olivia, who are chemical engineers, and to seek to create sustainable resources for others. For Jordan and Michelle, who are working in global health, creating COVID testing and treatments to be used in third world countries all across the globe. For Sky, Alexis, Kathy, Cheyung, and others, who to see their work and business not just to make money, but to have influence through their work so that others might benefit and have opportunity. Each of these people are creating space in their lives that is beyond themselves. They are welcoming people into their space so that others might be able to see that they bear the image of God and they are the beloved. We tell the story. If we dare to be the church, we tell the story. And we don't stop. If we dare to be the church, We build a legacy and invest in other people. Now, Paul will continue, and he will even go deeper. In Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 22, and now, this is his, he's talking again to these Ephesian elders as he's getting ready to depart from them. And he says, now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I just want to pause there and think about what that would be like for us when we look when we look at those that we love, our children, and we, we see that they might be doing something that maybe scares the pants off of us, what are you doing? Why are you taking this risk? And here Paul is saying, I don't consider my life worth anything if I can't do something that makes a difference in the world. Why would we hold them back? And Paul is saying now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Oh my gosh, what was that like to hear? Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Notice 
There's the timestamp. When he could have given up earlier on, he stayed there for three years. Facing the struggle and allowing the story to be written and investing in others' lives. Remember that. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. He's, he's continuing to talk about what he sees around him. And that makes him sick, and he's saying, I'm not going to take anything. This is not for me. This is for God, and this is for his church. I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Paul has not stopped speaking at the, ex at the expense of his own comfort. He continued to preach. He continued to teach. Paul has invested in many lives, even though many will walk away and even desert him, but he didn't stop investing in others' lives. Now Paul will teach what I believe is his greatest lesson for all of us. In Philippians chapter 3, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpass of, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For the sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to, toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. When we let go, we claim the prize. As we trust God, we will be able to bring the presence of Christ into our world. How is it that Paul was able to go to Jerusalem? I don't know if I could do it. How would he be able to do this knowing what could happen with the anticipation that he would be imprisoned and even lose his life? Who of us would commit ourselves to this kind of living, to, to completely surrender not only our comfort, but our own well-being? And what does this look like for us as the church? When we think about the Living Stones Church, 
What comfort and familiarity may we be holding on to that is keeping us from realizing our greatest potential? And even more so, what do we need to die to as a church so that Christ might be glorified? That's a good question. What is the prize we seek? Paul talked about that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pressing on to win that prize, to go for it. And we, we might say that it's heaven. I've done enough funerals in my life to know that people have all sorts of interesting images of heaven. What does heaven look like for you? Most of which have nothing to do with what Scripture teaches. It is certainly a place of no more sorrow and tears, and that is certain. But there's not a lot that is described to us. And so we dream about it. We imagine it. But the idea sometimes is sitting on the porch of our heavenly mansion drinking a sip of tea or coffee. Right, Liz? Or maybe it's we're getting our wings fitted so we can play in the clouds. Those ideas and many others, they don't come from Scripture. The peaceful, idealized version of heaven is not the prize we seek. Listen, for Paul, and I pray for me, that the prize is simply knowing Jesus. All throughout that last passage in Philippians, he talked about, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to be in his presence to enter into and bear witness to the glory and majesty of God, which is seen so clearly in the depth of his love for each of us, to build up a level of faith, a level of trust in God, where, where our desires become subject to his desires. Did you get that? Because we realize the purity of his love and how it will influence our lives. Where heaven is only a word that describes our coming into his presence. To have our trust in him become, in him become such that he, his will becomes ours. Where his righteousness becomes ours, as he talked about there in Philippians. Where his mission, what Jesus was sent for to seek and save the lost, that's, that's our desire. That's our great desire. The prize that both seek is not heaven. It's the Lord of heaven. It's not a reward for our work, but the reward already won on a, brut a brutal cross. Like the song that we sang a little while ago, we stop fighting a fight that is already won. So we claim that prize. Where communion with God is more than an event, it is simply life. Heaven is not something to be won through good behavior. We've got to get that out of our narrative. We are held back by that. And heaven is not a place of escape from a cruel and sinful world. Both of those things rob us of the opportunity to be the presence of Christ in the world if we're constantly thinking about behaving and getting out of here. And that's not what Paul wanted to do. He lived every moment. And the prize was the presence of Jesus. Heaven is a place where God and his creation walk together. A relationship that is restored to its original intention. 
There is an equation that Paul makes all through his writings and reflections that I believe that we can miss if we only see part rather than the whole. And it is something I think we truly grasp as we dare, dare to be the church. The equation is this. To strive to always be in the presence of Christ so that we might reflect the image of Christ. I can hear the words of Paul over and over again in this. And truly bring the presence of Christ into our world. Let me read that again. To strive to always be in the presence of Christ so that we might reflect the image of Christ and truly bring the gift of Christ into our world. This, I believe, is the prize that Paul was reflecting on and longed for. As we conclude our series, as we dare to be the church, we must hold with open hands this thing that we hold so tightly to often. And we allow God to move, and together as the church, we seek to bring the presence of Jesus into our neighborhood, into our world. Amen? Let me pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for the encouragement uh, that you bring us today. Thank you, Father, for your presence among us. The joy to be able to walk side by side with brothers and sisters together as we, as we usher in your presence by reflecting your image in the world. I pray, Father God, that, that you would move in power by the, by the presence of your Holy Spirit to convict our hearts so that we might surrender that we might lay down, that we might let go, that we might even allow some things to die so that we might be resurrected with you and carry out the mission that you've called us to as the church and the world. In Jesus' name, amen.